This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Hone your development skills at learn.thoughtbot.com. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Ryan Hoover. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? Hi, Ben, doing well. Good. So, Ryan, why don't we get started by just having you give a quick summary of who you are and what you're working on these days? Yeah, so I'm working on a couple different things. My uh, background is in product management. Recently left a company called Playhaven, which just rebranded as of yesterday to Upsite. And I'd been there three and a half years and just wanted to do something different, something new. Uh, the company grew from 10 when I joined to over 100 and just was looking for a change. So I moved on from that and I'm working part-time at a place called Tradecraft, which is a 12-week immersive program teaching sales, UX, and growth. And so we have a group of students that are learning these different tracks, these different skills. And my role there is to facilitate and help and, and teach along the way. My primary focus, though, is in a new project I started called Product Hunt, um, which is uh, kind of described as the hacker news for products or Reddit for products. Um, that would be sort of the short tagline. Mm-hmm. So can you get into that a little bit more, like what Product Hunt is? seems like that's your focus yeah. these days. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been fun. Yeah, so it's, like I said, kind of a hacker news for products, um, but more in more detail, it's a place where different people post new products, whether it's a mobile app, a website, could be a book, um, really any kind of product. And then the community upvotes them, just like you see on Hacker News or Reddit. And each day you kind of have a leaderboard of the best new products or cool, interesting products. And it's just a fun way to find interesting things and you might find value in your life or just to stay up to date on what's launching every single day. Mm-hmm. Interesting. How long has uh, Product Hunt been around? It's been about three or four months, I think, since we launched the first version. So it was built uh, right before Thanksgiving break. A lot of the initial development was during that time. And then we slowly grown the community from there. Mm-hmm. And are, are you doing development on this? I'm actually not. So uh, my buddy, Nathan Bashaw, he's a designer, developer, product guy. He is the one that built the initial version. But before that, it started off as myself as an email list. So I don't know if we want to go into the, those details. Um, but it initially started without any code. And it was just a very bare bones MVP, which uh, proved to be interesting to a number of people. And it was from that that I decided to build it into an actual product. Hmm. But the development itself was done by my friend Nathan, and I've also had some friends and some others help along the way on the development and design side. So what are you hoping happens with the site? Uh, Good question. Um, Frankly, it can go in a few different directions. Right now, I'm continuing in the current path and growing the community. We're up to about, well, a little bit over 11,000 subscribers on the email list. And each day, we're getting around 4,000 uniques or more each day. And so it's still a relatively small but vibrant community of a lot of founders, a lot of VCs, a lot of investors. Um, and it's sort of this early techie community. And my current plan is just to continue growing at that pace, really, and not not try and uh, explode it. Because as a community, it's really hard to grow a community fast while still maintaining quality mm-hmm. and um, not turning it into just a self-promotional like platform for everyone to share their own products. So right. we're intentionally curbing the growth. And a number of people want to contribute and want to comment, but the product's just not quite ready for that yet. Interesting. So is that what, that what takes up most of your time day to day right now? Yeah, it does. It's because I'm wearing a lot of different hats in that uh, I'm playing the community management role, doing some design work, um, 
a lot of emails. Uh, so this morning I woke up, I woke up, wake up really early now and I love my mornings, but I woke up at four thirty, and my mind just turned on. And every morning my, my kind of process is I'll wake up, I'll go to Phil's, which is like a block and a half away coffee shop here in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And it's then that I prepare the morning email. So every weekday there's a email that goes out that has some editorial such as here are these AMAs that we had, uh, you know, in the past week, or here's an interesting product trend, or here's this new cool product. Like this morning, a guy created a Chrome extension for Product Hunt, and then it also includes yesterday's top voted products. And so right now, I'm just manually creating that email and also adding kind of that editorial content. And that's what I do every morning, and then make sure that the products that are posted are, you know, first not duplicates or not inappropriate. And so I'm playing that community management role to a large extent and pulling in a uh, conversation. So my mm. entire morning is kind of filled with that type of work. And the rest of the day, a lot of it is kind of continual monitoring uh, the community and engagement. But then also when I can find time uh, designing some new features and, and mock-ups for, uh, you know, some future additions. Mm-hmm. Is there a, a, a revenue model in place for this or is it kind of figure that out later? Yeah, I get that question a lot. And right now we are making revenue through job postings. And we started about a month and a half ago doing that. And really it was partly opportunistic in that it didn't take any technology or effort really to get job postings up there. Mm-hmm. I first just emailed some people I knew and, and that I knew were hiring and wanted to see if they'd be interested in promoting inside of the email. And surprisingly, well, maybe not surprisingly, but people pay a lot of money for job postings. Mm-hmm. And what I like about that model, at least for now, is is that it doesn't necessarily devalue um, the content right now since it doesn't compete with products. They're not products themselves. It's job postings. Mm-hmm. People actually find value in knowing what product management roles are available sometimes, especially if it's from a company that we trust and respect. Uh, so making money doing that, and there's also opportunities to do, you know, maybe some sort of uh, just take a page out of, of Reddit and dig and what they've done with native advertising and product placement. Um, that said, monetization is the least of my priorities right now. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, it's really a focus on engagement, retention, or people staying around. Uh, after that, it's more acquisition and monetization would be last in my high-level priorities. Gotcha. So I'm looking at your, your about page. You've done a lot of uh, writing. You have a lot of essays that have been published. Yeah, more than I realized, actually, I looked back at the end of 2013 and apparently published 100 essays over that year. Wow. I don't know how, but a lot of them, you know, frankly, are smaller pieces. But I did invest a lot of time in 2013 writing, uh, more so than the previous years, for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that has paid off well for you? Yeah, actually, it's in a number of ways. Um, blogging or writing is partly there's the introspective process of refining your thinking and also better articulating your ideas and thoughts. And then from a relationship building and network building perspective, it's also helped me tremendously. So it's given me access to a lot of really cool people, especially living in San Francisco. Uh, It's surprisingly easy to meet some really high-level, interesting people that it's good to just build those relationships. And a lot of that is first done through writing um, in a way. When you write you sort of feel like, I don't know about you, but do you ever feel like you sort of know the author when they're writing? When you read a piece, it's over time you start almost knowing them even though you've never seen them in life uh, or even talked to them? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's that small bit of like kind of exposure or transparency into your thought process that builds that relationship. And Product Hunt wouldn't be where it is today if I didn't start writing a year ago uh, because I built up uh, a network and, and some level of an audience that I could then use to grow the community. Mm-hmm. So writing's just been really fun, really effective way to build that network. 
Mm-hmm. It's funny that idea of knowing someone. I get in reverse a bit with the podcast. I have people that are yeah. like, I've listened to like you know forty hours of you talking during my commute, kind of thing. It's like I feel like I know you pretty yeah. well, and it's it's so yeah. interesting that 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 can happen. Yeah, it, it's very odd sometimes because people will come to you that you've never met or even heard of, and and they almost talk to you as if they know you. I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, it is. It's it's kind of I, I describe it as. And I hate the word networking um, because it feels disingenuous, but it's almost like a more scalable way to network in a way. Mm-hmm. You can go to events and you can meet maybe 10 people, 20 people maybe. Uh, you can write a blog post and that can touch hundreds of people, if not thousands. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. That's, that's why my favorite thing to do at a conference is to give a talk. It's like you yeah. can just reach so many people at once and sort of get a message out or, or say what you think is important. And it's just it's a great platform. Yeah, Absolutely. You have a, an article or an essay you wrote. An essay you wrote called "Email First Startups." Is that sort of the playbook you followed with uh, Product Hunt? It looks like it, right? It, yeah, it actually was, and it's kind of ironic. It's almost like foreshadowing because I, of course, didn't think about Product Hunt when I was initially writing that. I don't know how how long ago, maybe over a year ago. Hmm. And I just noticed that there are various different products that were validated and created initially as just simple email, and there are a lot of benefits to using email first because you don't have to build much technology. You can behind the scenes do a lot of manual things to experiment without you know spending time writing code. Someone who's not technical can do it. So of course it's not going to work for every product, but for some, you can go with an email approach and start building an audience to validate whether people care about that type of content. And that's exactly how Product Hunt started. It was literally an email, a daily email list. And frankly, it wasn't. I wasn't even building it into a product. I wasn't thinking of it as a product. It was just something fun that I thought would be fun to share with some friends of mine. And it was the attention, kind of the uh, the inbound interest for product hunt, the email list, that validated that there was actually a need for this. There was actually an opportunity to build a product in this space. Mm-hmm. So, you want to talk a little bit about uh, Playhaven, or formerly Playhaven? Yeah, where should I start? It's I think a lot of people. I wrote an essay. Um, I wrote a lot. Uh, I realized, um, but I wrote an essay right before I left Playhaven of why I was leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I mentioned earlier, I joined when we were about 10 people. I think we dropped down to six at one point, And then over the course of around three years, three and a half years, grown to, I think, 110 they're at now, 120 maybe. Mm. And, you know, the company's been doing great. And I actually really believe in the vision. And it's really easy to leave a company when, you know, you don't like your coworkers or you don't believe in the vision. And um, that's not why I left. It was really a, a number of things. One, it was like a lost passion for what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd been working, it's, a, it's in the gaming space, it's a platform for mobile game developers, and I just kind of lost passion for the gaming industry, working in it for about five years. And two, it was building a tool set for mobile game developers, and frankly, I was sick of not being the customer for my own product. I was sick of building something for someone else, and ultimately, I want to build something that I'm a consumer of, not only because it's more fun, but also, it's a huge competitive advantage, especially in like a product role, to be the user themselves. Right. And then the third is just giving myself a new challenge and going back to kind of a smaller environment. You know, when you get to 100 people, it's a lot different structure and a lot different process and you do a lot different things than when you were 10 people. So I kind of miss that smaller team and that kind of fast, multiple hat wearing uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Would you classify yourself as a workaholic or even just a hard worker, I guess? Maybe. I mean, I don't know if it's egotistical to to classify that or maybe it's the exact opposite. I don't know. I like to work and I frankly will spend my weekend sometimes writing or working on projects on the side Mm -hmm. rather than going out and partying. Um, I should probably do more partying, frankly. Hmm. 
but I, I just, when I get interested and passionate about something, I just consume myself in it. And that's one of the reasons why I've written a hundred blog posts, um, in the past year. Cause it's something I got really into and excited about and just enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. And that's also why I'm spending so much time on product hunt because I just really am passionate about it. And I think there's a big opportunity in, in where it could go. So it sounds like you have a, a passion for pushing stuff out into the world. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, th- I think so. It's my blog has been sort of a product in, in a sense and product hunt is a product. And I've also worked on other side projects as well. A lot of just little things like I thought of, uh, as we were growing up Playhaven, I created this uh, landing page and this concept or idea around, like I called it Wall of Awesome. It was sort of like a board of where you could compliment your coworkers and show off like, hey, uh, Bill over here, he did this awesome thing the other day. I love that. And it's just kind of this like just cool little culture building uh, product. So I've had many different ideas like that. I built a, a landing page and got hundreds of email addresses and there's some inbound interest in that. And I was like kind of excited. Okay, this could be fun. Like I Working at Playman as we grew, you kind of lost some of that like pat on the back type of culture or atmosphere just because you have so many people and everyone's so busy. So I thought there might be an opportunity there. And then I eventually decided, you know, it's not something I really want to invest my time in like long term. But I've done a lot of different things like that. When I was a kid, I created little uh, video game cheat books. Um, I frankly, you know, Game Facts. Yeah. From back in the day. Yeah. Love that site. I would just rip off and like print out game facts and then like cut them up into little booklets and like sell them at my dad's video game store. I had like gumball machines that I would manage and just like refill it each week and have this really small Excel spreadsheet with my like profit and you know expenses and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a kid, I always liked doing kind of little entrepreneurial things like that. And it's just fun. So I you have a, a post you wrote about not encouraging people to learn to code. Taking a little bit of a contrarian viewpoint, I guess, against the common the common thoughts these days. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and frankly, my the title uh, "Don't Learn to Code" is a little bit of a hyperbole, uh, of mm. course, intentionally. Yeah. Ultimately, the, my message or, or my feeling in that that space is: first off, there are a lot of dev boot camps and a lot of people who are getting excited about learning to code, and that's a good thing. At the same time, there's a lot of hype, and it doesn't mean that everyone should code. Not everyone should be an engineer, and I just see and I've met people who have kind of ridden that bandwagon and say, okay, I'm going to join this camp. I'm going to learn to code. I'm going to be an engineer. And that might may be right for them, but not necessarily. It's really about opportunity cost also. And if you aren't going to be an engineer, maybe learning to code isn't the most valuable use of your time. Maybe you should be learning how to be a better marketer or how to be a better designer. And not everyone knows what they want to do, but ultimately any decision you make is based on opportunity cost. Not everyone needs to learn to be technical, in my opinion technical side is, is a critical part of like technology companies, but it's only one piece of a really successful business ultimately. Mm-hmm. Cause you're, so you're, you're not a developer, right? Or, or you're at least not doing development work on product hunt. Do you feel held back by that ever? You know, I would love to be more technical. Like if I could pay thousands of dollars and overnight be more technical, that'd be great. I can do some front end development, but I haven't invested the time in like learning Ruby on rails and mm-hmm. something I may actually do. It's just right now my time is better spent specifically with product hunt doing other things such as the marketing side and some of the design side. Uh, if I neglect that entirely and learn to code, well, then I'm not going to make progress also elsewhere. So that's why I'm getting a lot of help from you know friends and others that are really just excited to contribute and help build product hunt and be a part of it to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on the whole learning to code aspect? I mean, it's, it's definitely a um, 
a hot topic for many, uh, especially a lot of like early college graduates that I've spoken to. They they don't really know how to get into startups. Some of them think, oh, I should just go go to a dev boot camp. I should learn to code. That's how I get into startups. Maybe that's the right approach for them. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? I mean, it's it's certainly situation dependent, and I'm horrendously biased for a number of reasons. Um, yeah. But I think it's a pretty darn useful skill. Mm-hmm. And if you have the time to invest and you are interested in entering a technology world, there are probably a lot of worse ways to spend you know, time than picking up a core skill like that. So I think I would, I'd recommend it for lots of people, assuming that it interests you at mm-hmm. all. I certainly wouldn't recommend it for everybody. And particularly if you're not, if you start it and you get some experience with it and you find you don't really like it that much. Mm-hmm. It's not a thing you pick up instantly. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to start learning the piano. I want to learn how to play the piano, so I'm going to take a 12-week thing, and then I'll be a piano expert. It's like, well, no, you really won't. <laughs> yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll have gotten on your way. Um, right. But to, to, to do this well, like everything else, is a long, long, long-term investment. So it's one of those things where if you take to it and you like it, then keep going. But yeah. it, it may be that you try it out, and you're like, yeah, this isn't really for me, and that's totally fine. I think that's okay, too. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. I think if if you knew exactly what you wanted to do, let's say, in your career, then you would have a clear understanding of how technical you need to be or not. Mm. And that can also vary. So my background is in product management. And most people in product management have a CS degree or, or many of them are fairly technical. And in many companies, to be an effective product manager, you have to be effectively an engineer or a past engineer but not for all companies, too. It really depends on the type of product and business you're operating. Totally. One thing I would say, I will say in, in support of learning some programming is that it's kind of an awesome superpower to have uh, when you're doing other things. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have a friend who works in finance, and he studied CS back in the day and uh, ended up getting his MBA and is focused on all this finance stuff. But uh, when he needs to, can go write some awesome you know, VB uh, macros to crank out, you know, mm-hmm. Excel simulations or whatever he needs, and this actually makes him a total kind of a god in his uh, at his job <laughs> compared to other people that are just fiddling around doing things manually. Yeah. And so, it's programming is not what he's paid to do. Uh, it's not his job title, but it amplifies his power, his ability at that particular job. And I think there are a lot of cases where that becomes true. If you're sort of involved in technology almost at all, mm-hmm. you might be able to to get a lot of benefit from that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And to kind of tag along with that, I'm also seeing some verticalization of, of roles in early stage startups, especially where you have designers also doing the front end development. Oftentimes the title is product designer, but that can be defined differently in different companies. Mm-hmm. And so they're doing the UX, they're doing the design, uh, they're doing even some of the product management to an extent and the development. And I'm just amazed by some people's talent, especially in, in this area that I'm surrounded by. Uh, some people can do that now. Can everyone do all of those roles like the most effectively? Probably in an early stage startup, you can move faster in that situation. But as you scale up, you need to become a little bit more um, specialized generally. Mm-hmm. It's a nice way to make yourself a bit more marketable. Like you might be good enough mm-hmm. at development that they'll someone will take you because oh well, you know we mostly need design, but we also need a little bit of development work. And so this person that can do some of that is going to be a better fit. It's going to be easier to just staff one position than multiple. Yeah, definitely. And also just helps you communicate better with your team, especially in product management. If you're completely naive uh, to technology, you will not do well in product management role. Yeah, I think that's true. So let's talk about tradecraft a little bit. Yeah. You're the are you an entrepreneur in residence? Is that what EIR is? Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of like one of those titles you give someone when you don't know what to call them in some ways. <laughs> right, exactly. It it's fun. It's it's really cool. So on day one, well, 
to back up a little bit, we had around 400 applicants at Tradecraft, and I think we interviewed around 200 or so. And in the end, we had around 27 students join the program. And it was the first one, the first cohort. It's a 12-week program. And where it's kind of different, in where it's similar to a dev bootcamp model in that they come in for 12 weeks every day, full-time, like 40 to 60 hours a week. And where it's different is it's not technical. It's really focusing on the non-tech skills. So sales, UX, and growth are the three different tracks. On day one, the students came in and I mean, I was surprised by their their hunger and their humility and like eagerness to learn. Mm-hmm. And when you work with people who are like excited, you know, to actually learn and and don't fight you when you try and give them advice, it's a lot more fun. So my role there is uh, largely just helping the students with some of the projects they're working on, uh, answering questions, uh, bringing in some of the startups as well, because we're working with some startups uh, to do actual hands-on work for those companies. And then also some some of it's bringing in some mentors um, in my mm-hmm. network to come and talk and mentor these students. So it's very much like a floating role in helping where I can rather than being like a specific instructor for a specific track or course. Hmm. It's interesting to see this this like 12-week intensive learning model propagating to other topics, like to non-technical things as well. Mm-hmm. It feels almost like there's this recognition of most of your learning is going to happen on the job anyway. Right. Uh, and so what most people need is kind of a kickstart and uh, some foundational stuff. And then it's kind of like, okay, now you maybe have enough to go talk the talk briefly at an interview and, and start learning for real when you actually go do it. Yeah, exactly. What we found, especially in non-tech roles, so the difference between technical and non-technical, one of the big differences is that when you know how to code, you kind of know how to code and you can sort of prove what you've done. You can say, here's the code that I've written. Here's the project I built. You have some proof, but if you're coming into a company as, let's say, a salesman, it's really hard to prove that you even have those skills. Um, But even worse is it's really hard to even gain those skills without having hands-on experience. The technical community has a lot of resources out there and communities built around like learning and supporting that environment. Like relative to sales, where does an intra-level salesman go to learn how to be a salesman? You can read books, um, but a lot of it's just hands-on work. So that's really what we're trying to achieve is give entry-level people who want to move into these different tracks, whether they're straight out of graduation or they're doing a career transition. Um, We have some people in their late 20s, early 30s who are changing careers and give them an opportunity to get those actual hands-on skills and provide value on day one rather than joining a startup and then having that startup train them for like a month on how to sell. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So you kind of have what sounds a little bit like my dream job. You just kind of, you are there and you're a resource for people and you get to answer sort of questions from all over the place. Yeah, it's, it's a great role and it's, uh, it's exciting because it's changing too. Like, frankly, this was the first cohort. We learned a lot and we're adapting and learning from that as well. So mm-hmm. it's fun to be a part of that, especially early on when Misha and Russell, the founders, they came up to me seven months ago. I think it was when I announced I was leaving Playhaven and told me about Tradecraft and their idea and their, their vision for it. And I saw a need for it. I believed in what they were building. Mm-hmm. But it's been really cool to see it actually happen and actually come together. Because to build a school like from nothing uh, and get 27 students to pay $12,000 and some of them move from outside the country <laughs> to San Francisco, mm-hmm. it's pretty remarkable. So it's been fun. So you said earlier that uh, you were an early riser and you love your mornings. Can you talk about that a little bit more? I Yeah, I, I didn't used to like mornings um, I don't know what kids did back in the day, but over time I've just enjoyed them. And in the past year I've just gotten up early. Partly initially it was to just write. I would spend the first two hours or so writing and there were no distractions. I would go to the coffee shop, put my headphones on, 
uh, listen to some like usually electronica, something without music or, or words rather, and uh, just write. And now I'm replacing that with you know some product hunt stuff. But I enjoy it because it's it's just calming in a way. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. less people online, less emails. I just enjoy it. Was there a trick for you to sort of become more of a morning person? Uh, it's just go to bed early. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you go to bed at 1, 1 a.m., you're not going to get up early. So it's, it's, it's like I sound like an old grandpa, but I got in bed last night at 9 p.m., fell asleep probably 9.30, 10. So I, I just like getting to bed early and waking up early. And when my mind turns on, I, I'm just up. You know, that's why I woke up so early. I, I wasn't I could have slept more, but my mind was just racing. And, and also I, I noticed my phone was over there and I had emails. And that's another thing I need to fix is not sleep next to my phone. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's a bad habit. <laughs> that's a change that, that I made myself with to, to good effect. Yeah. It's like even once it's just like, you know, 10 feet away so that you can't just grab it. Uh, it was, it was, a, it was a positive for me. Yeah. There, there are some bad habits I have that I recognize that I should address. I just kind of succumb to them. <laughs> yeah well i think you're the only person in the world that's like that so you should, it. you should feel really bad <laughs> yeah exactly uh so are you uh are you an exerciser yeah yeah i am i uh used to play soccer when i was uh in high school well middle school elementary school high school and right now i, I really hate cardio i don't like doing cardio i should probably do more of it but i go to the gym maybe four or five times a, a week and it's a good way to just decompress you know i'm sitting on my computer all the time and just spending an hour or so in the gym is is relaxing and helpful. Mm. How about yourself? Do you do sports or lift or anything? Uh, I do things to stay active. I play ping pong and I uh, I do these like little workouts in the morning before work and whatnot. And I've always sort of had a weird variety of active things that I do. It's been crazy for me recently to feel the connection between exercise and additional energy. Like I'd always yeah. noticed and read that, you know, people that had a lot of output seemed to be people that were, were into fitness to a good degree. And recently I've been exercising before work in the morning, which is something I've never gotten into for very long. And the difference in my energy levels all day is really pretty crazy. Yeah, I actually used to get up. Uh, well, I've always been getting up in the past year early, but I used to go to the gym in the morning. And then I moved locations and it was just took too long to go to the gym and get that done mm-hmm. soon enough. But do you use any... I? I'm kind of curious if uh, you use any like Jawbone Up or Fitbit or anything like that. I think it's kind of interesting trend. Yeah, I don't use anything like that. Although I'm I'm just waiting. Like uh, the Fitbit isn't quite where I want it in terms of, like form factor. Like it still looks too boxy or dorky or something to me to like want to wear <laughs> yeah. it all the time. But I, I do want something like that eventually. That whole like tracking a thing to improve it definitely works for me big time. Yeah, I wonder if it's different here in San Francisco than than in Boston. It's almost cool to wear you know, a job on up, especially if you're around other job on up people, for example, mm-hmm. it's definitely become a fashion statement to an extent here, but maybe not so in other less techie centric cultures or, or areas. Yeah. I, I'd say it's probably almost cool in Boston, but uh, just, just for, just for me personally, the aesthetics just aren't, aren't quite where I want to be. But one thing I have been doing is I have, I have an app that I, I'm pretty into right now, which is, is like this thing called the seven minute workout that got published in the New York times. And, I heard about know, that, yeah. Yeah, supposedly, like, oh, it's the full body or whatever. And, and who cares if it really is a great selection of exercises or not? But I've just been trying to build the habit of, like, when I wake up and leave my room, I start that app and or open it up and hit start. And the only rule mm-hmm. is that I open it up and hit start, at which, at which point I'm done. I've, I've succeeded with exercise for the day. 
And yeah. after that point, everything is optional. So what I find is like, I just tell myself like, I'm not going to do anything today. I'm just literally going to open it up and then I'm going to close it. And, but I'll, I'll succeed it. And I do that. And it's like, the first thing is jumping jacks. I'm like, okay, well, 30 seconds <laughs> of jumping jacks. That's no big deal. I'll do that. Fine. And I do right. that. And then I'm like, but as soon as these jumping jacks are over, I'm just going to turn this off and go to the next thing. It's like push-ups. And I'm like, oh, actually, I kind of like doing push-ups. So I'm going to do some push-ups first. And then like, <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, I'm already kind of in this. And then I almost, I almost always end up doing the whole thing. And I almost mm-hmm. always start thinking I'm not going to do any of it. And so this like stupid little trick of like giving myself permission to stop if I want to has really been helping my consistently, consistency lately. Yeah, when I worked out in the mornings, I used to get up around 6 a.m. I would have a routine of quick bite of yogurt, grab coffee, drive to the gym, work out, and then I would reward myself with like a big breakfast. And mm. I would always do that same routine. And having that thought of, okay, I'm going to be rewarded with this big breakfast right afterwards, like motivated me to get up and quickly get my workout done and be efficient. And that's what helped me a lot. I've also, uh, who was it? I think it might have been Leo from Buffer wrote a post about something on this topic. And I think if, if I'm not mistaken, he puts his gym clothes like on his bed so that when he wakes up immediately, it's like a reminder, it's a trigger for him to, okay, put on your gym clothes, go to the gym. And just makes it easier to do that too rather than fiddling through your drawers and finding your clothes and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I know BJ Fogg has talked about this a bit. Uh, and I also came across this in um, Scott Adams' latest book. Uh, but they talk about sort of like a system that allows a bit of leakage. The fact that I know I can tell my I – can, I can stop if I want to makes me right. more likely to start the habit. Yeah, yeah. And like that's a huge thing because like I said, I really almost always start like I'm not going to even do this. I'm just going to perform the habit and then I find myself exercising a couple minutes later and I'm like, oh, yeah, this isn't so bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean sometimes the hardest part is just starting to begin with. No matter how much you're doing, it's just the start. Absolutely. So I, who knows how long I'll be able to keep this up, but I'm on a pretty good streak so far and it's, it seems to be working. Nice, nice. By the way, for people that haven't uh, explored this, we should link this in, in the show notes. BJ Fogg has this thing called Tiny Habits, which is an, is an awesome uh, – thing to go read about and look into yeah i was just going to mention that he uses an example of if you want to floss put the floss next to your countertop like when you're brushing your teeth and force yourself to floss one tooth and only one tooth no more right (laughs) it's kind of hard to like tell yourself oh i'm not going to do that because it takes two seconds to floss one tooth right but then once you start doing that it's like okay i might as well floss them all exactly it's something about having that out makes it easier to, to get going yeah. It doesn't feel like it's like, well, I know I can just turn back, and it, but it almost always works that you don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's silly brain hacks. Like it's it's funny how like what a weird, fleshy, bizarre computer we have in our brains. <laughs> yeah. It's like I have to do these like stupid tricks to get myself to do these things when like if I could just be rational and normal, like I wouldn't need this, but it's I guess you just kind of have to accept that and and program to the machine you have. Yeah. You know, I find habits and user behavior particularly interesting as it applies to technology and products. And we're seeing, you know, technology become ubiquitous with your phone in your pocket and eventually on your face, like with Google Glass or whatever technology arises from that. And as it becomes more ubiquitous, it has more opportunities to invade your life and change the way you act and behave. And I think it's interesting from like a product designer perspective, but also from just a person's perspective or consumer perspective. And understanding how products are influencing you and like why am I so compelled right now I'm, I'm talking to you on through Skype right now on this podcast and in the back of my mind I'm like I wonder what emails I have like do I have anything important is uh, am I missing something like mm-hmm. it's this this psychology that uh, you know product designers and technology have like ingrained in us and it's both empowering and also a little bit scary too and hmm. how it can change people and especially at scale as everyone is consumed with technology right 
totally. So is there anything else that we should cover while I have you? I guess the uh, I might as well shout out to Tradecraft because we're actually uh, recruiting for our next cohort starting in mid-April. Mm-hmm. And so we're interviewing uh, a number of students right now. I think it may be more than half full already. So if anyone's interested in getting into sales, UX, or growth, uh, or moving, transitioning careers into startups, um, feel free to email me. My email is ryan at ryanhoover.me. Happy to give you more information or connect you with one of the founders to talk more about it. Awesome. Cool. And if people wanted to get in touch with you, what's a good way to do that? Yeah, just my email or on Twitter at rrhoover. Awesome. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate you uh, dropping by to chat today. Cool. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ben. It was yeah. fun. Cool. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 92. Thanks for listening. 